You are listening to the Living Truth Podcast with John Corr and C.L. Mitchell. Please stay tuned to Living Truth as we engage in an in-depth journey of discovery through the discussion of God's Word for the purpose of devotion and godly living. We pray that you would be blessed through today's conversation and that God would sanctify your heart in truth, for His Word is truth. Good afternoon, this is John Corr and the Reverend C.L. Mitchell coming to you from Phoenix, Arizona. This is the Living Truth Podcast, and in case, if you are new to us, we're two friends that love to get together to uh, discuss the Bible, God, theology, Jesus, and life, and we have a fun time doing it. We normally have our hot chocolate or iced tea or coffee nearby, but since it is so hot in Phoenix, we don't have that, we just have water, but... We envision that you as our listener or our viewer are sort of eavesdropping on our conversation. And, and uh, so anyway, before we get into our next discussion, which by the way, we've been talking about the attributes of God, so it's going to be good stuff. Um, I want to welcome my good friend, Pastor Reverend good to see you, Pontiff <laughs> Monsignor Friar Mitchell. <laughs> it's good to see you. How you feeling, man? You know what? I, I'm okay. I, for some reason, the muscles on, in my back have been kind of tightening. So for those of you who are uh, viewing on YouTube, if you see me on occasion stand or something of that nature, I'm a bit Roll fidgety. on your back. Yes. Uh, it is because uh, those muscles are locking up, and so I'm in a, in a bit of discomfort. That just means Batman's getting old. <laughs> That's okay. you got to find his replacement. <clears throat> That's false doctrine. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> Well, that's good. I'm glad you're here, dude. I'm, I hope you feel better. And Thank yeah, you, if sir. you want to stand up while we talk, we have freedom. This is my house and my my studio, so we could do we could do that, and nobody would care. Anyway, we do have a lot of fun, and uh, like I said, we've been going through the attributes of God. And uh, you know, if you've never listened to or watched what we've talked about before, we've also have uh, discussed uh, the Book of Ruth. We went through verse by verse through Ruth, and also Jonah. And other um, other various topics like Christmas and Easter stuff, but but now we've been going through the attributes, which is kind of cool. This is like our what our fourth or fifth attribute. Oh my, I'm I'm sure you're right. I think it's like fourth or fifth, and we're going to cover maybe two of them today. Maybe double. Yeah, <laughs> we'll see. We tend to go really slow. So anyway, if you have your Bibles, you can join in with us and just listen in. And uh, we're going to talk today about about the transcendence. And imminence of God. Yes. Those are big words. They are big words. They're big words. <laughs> big concepts. So we're going to talk about transcendence and imminence. So we're, we're thinking about God. We're thinking theology is discussing, thinking about God. Right. And uh, we want to be right in our theology. Well, this kind of has to do with it. So let me just give a little bit of a backdrop uh, to this topic, John, as we're discussing the perfections of God. Um, when we're discussing the perfections of God, we're necessarily going to have to deal with language that is um, um, of a higher level right. or of a level sometimes that's beyond audiences' <clears throat> um, uh, comprehension just for the moment. It's, it's not beyond their ability to grasp. Right. But unfortunately, um, many pulpits, pulpiteers, and individuals have lessened and lowered the vocabulary right. so that these are not new concepts, but they are new to some listeners or hearers 
uh, because they've not necessarily been exposed to the grandeur of God right. um, as he is presented in scripture and as he is seen in, in theology, the queen of sciences. So this is for some um, a reintroduction for some, it's an introduction. They've, they've not necessarily uh, heard of this before, but it's not just um, uh, language that we're attempting to use to be beyond our audience. It's something that our audience should be familiar with. Right. And in fact, they should anticipate that when we're discussing truths concerning God, that they're going to have to, the oxygen is going to get a lot lighter because you're going to have to elevate your thinking as yeah. it were. Well, I mean, it's, if you think about it, if, if you've mastered your concept of God, you don't have God. Well said. Because God is eternal. And so he's, there's this, you know, there's a good thing of, of raising our understanding of him. Now at the same time, you know, it doesn't mean that he's not knowable and that kind of stuff, but it's he's inexhaustible, I guess, what the word is. Um, and we're talking about a person. We're talking about God. And so Absolutely. we're not talking about some something that's abstract. You know, hopefully we're, we're describing the Lord himself, and that should raise our our level of devotion to him as well and uh, as we understand him more. So um, let's talk about transcendence first because – and, and I know tra- transcendence <clears> – <throat> You know, if you look at some theology books, it's not technically an attribute, but it's a, it's definitely a characteristic of that encompasses multiple attributes. But let's yeah, it's a, it's a part of God's nature. So let's talk um, about what, let's define what it is. Yeah. Well, first of all, it's important to uh, to highlight this definition as 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 being the altogether otherness of God, right? Or the distinctiveness of God the non-creatureliness of God so that God is not spatially but categorically above any and all things that he has created, whether they are fallen or not fallen. God is distinct as creator from the creature or the creation that he has made. So what we're saying is then transcendence and imminence, imminence is a way of discussing or describing God in relation to his cre- creation, where he's distinctly different than his creatures. Right, and creation. eminence would be, although he is transcendent, he is altogether other and distinct from any and all things that he has created, yet he is involved with his creation. Okay. So he's not so other that there is no um, interaction, that there is no involvement, that there is no nearness. So those two right, doctrines... The, right balance out each other necessarily. So, so transcendence, it's his, his otherness. Yes. His, you know, uh, differentness or his, uh, you know, his, um, and some describe it as his, his exaltedness. His superiority. Right. But not in space, but in quality or type yeah. of, of being. Right. And, and, and so um, uh, that, that's the perfect uh, terminology, the quality of his person or his being. So God exists in an entirely different, qualitatively, completely different type of being than we are. Uh, not only than we are, but than angels are, right. than other Elohim, which is a realm. Uh, there are other um, 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 beings that are considered like powerful beings, right. but of the powerful beings, there is no being comparable to or on the level of Yahweh. So He's Elohim, altogether Elohim is a term used to describe uh, a spir- resident, a spiritual, spiritual, spiritual beings. Mm-hmm. 
with you know and so disembodied disembodied where mm-hmm. yeah so okay so now we're talking about his his so we're thinking about transcendence and it's hard not to think spatially because that's how our minds we think he's higher than us right right okay so I, well and so we have to keep that in mind it's not geographic or it's not dimensional in the sense of you know a thousand miles up in the air is god and that's often how people think of god right he's way up there right um um he he has this certain size and and things of that nature but that's not what we're talking about we're not talking about spatiality so let's let's go to a scripture just to get get us sort of anchored into the word as far as um, the nature of God. I, I'm thinking of the one Isaiah. Can we start at Psalms first? Okay, because we'll that predates that. Yeah, um, because what we're looking which at. Which one is do you want? Because you got Psalm one thirteen. Okay, that's a good one. That's a good one. So would you please? Winner, winner, chicken dinner for Psalm one thirteen. <laughs> Here we go. Would you please read verses uh, five and uh, six? Who is like Yahweh, our God? Or who is like the Lord our God, the one who sits on high, the one who brings himself low to see the things in heaven and on the earth. Who is like Yahweh our God, the one who sits on high, the one who brings himself low to see. I'm thinking of the scripture in uh, Genesis where God has to come down to see uh, what's going on on the earth, you know, Mm because he's so high and exalted. Yeah, Um, yeah. But anyway, he's he sits on high, and he has to bring himself low to see what's going on in the heavens and the earth. Hmm. Yeah, yeah. When when you look at this, when one uh, looks at this text, who is like Yahweh, uh, our all powerful or our Elohim? It's a rhetorical question that anticipates a negative answer, and the idea is no one. There is no one comparable to him. There is no one like him. There is no one within the framework of his category. And then the author has a further rhetorical question that really is an extrapolation or a teasing out of the first rhetorical question in verse number five, who is enthroned on high, Uh, the relative pronoun, he's the one who is uh, enthroned on high and on high again is not um, um, spatial. Uh, sometimes when, and we'll get there in a, in a little bit, you'll read that text in Isaiah, the Isaiahic text in chapter number six. And so you hear this high or one translation lofty yeah. or one translation above. Right. And yet the idea is not measurability as it were. Right. It is the distinctness or the otherness, or the superiority, um, so that he is in a class, literally, in Trinity, all by himself. But even though, I know he's not talking spatially, when you think of, say, Isaiah 6, Mm -hmm. you know, in the year that Isaiah died, I I saw the Lord high and exalted, right? Mm -hmm. I mean, so Isaiah, you know, in in, in, in this vision of God, he sees something that's, what he would describe as high and exalted. Right. So in one sense, I mean, there is language, the Bible uses those language of, of spatial, what we think spatial dimension, and maybe to help us out. It's a theological spatiality. The right. idea is there is a concept behind it that is not so much measurement right. as it is categorical difference or distinction. Right. Um, but I, I think it's, I mean, I think it's, it's, it's helpful. But anyway. It's, Absolutely. But we can't think of it as far as, as far as, um, 
you know, like I said, geographically or astronomically. We can't think of it as as um, the distance. The, the The sun is high above the Earth. Right. That's ninety three million miles right, right away. We can't even think of God in that way. That's not the concept. Right. What we're thinking of is the distinction or the altogether otherness so, or the incomparability of God. I think it was. I don't know if it was A. W. Tozer or another guy who wrote, who said God is. As as high, as 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 high or um, separated, let's say an archangel is to a caterpillar. Mm. God is actually just as high above those two because he's a creator and their creation. Because yeah. he exists in such a different realm or different mode of existence that even if you think of archangels to caterpillars. Those two are on the same level versus God because he's he is. Those two would be closer right. than the archangel would be to God, right? Yeah, in, in in a sense, because because of the distinctness or the otherness, and and if you're looking at this passage again, the relative pronoun is not just a a pronoun that is seeking to beg the question, "Who amongst human beings?" But there's a generality here. Um, um, who is like Yahweh our God? Now, now you see the superiority of Yahweh in verse number four. Yahweh is high above all nations. Right. It's not just talking about he's kind of um, ascended above the nations, right. but he's superior to nations and their rulers. His glory is above the heavens. So even when you're talking about the heavens, and if one looks um, um, uh, chronologically, um, uh, uh, developmentally throughout time and developmentally throughout scripture, what one will see is scripture eventually um, highlights these three heavens, right? Right. And Paul says he was caught up into the third heaven. And yet, even though we talk about the third heaven, and by the way, Solomon spoke of that before, the heaven of heavens could not continue. And so even though we have this representative arena that is known as the abode of God, still it doesn't contain him. And we're not, again, talking about space. We're talking about even that is a creation. He is distinct and to so, a degree outside of that. So just by the virtue of that, and obviously you you can, there's certain attributes that draw from that idea, you know, of, uh, you know, his, I mean, first of all, you have, you go back to Genesis 1, in the beginning, God, okay, so he's outside of time, which means that if he's outside of time, he's infinite, which means he's still transcendent over time. Yes, he is other than time. He's other than time, yeah. or um, and so um, you you still have this. If God is transcendent over time, he's transcendent over all of creation. It also means I'm just thinking implication wise, implicationally, that he is sovereign over it as well. Because oh, if, he's, if he's outside of it, he's sovereign over it as well. So we're not just talking about, you know, in one sense, we're talking about him in his being. Yes. But you also, in his, he's transcendent in his, his rulership, Absolutely. His, his reign, his kingship, you know, his, his control. His perfections, his characteristics would be as other um, as his very nature is. And, and, and I want to be very careful because what I'm not trying to do is separate his perfections or characteristics from his being or nature right. because they are not additions to his nature. Right. But God in every scale, in every way is 
altogether other. He is transcendent. Right. He, is he is distinct. He is unique. Um, which is, by the way, part of the legitimate meaning of the Shema. Right, um, hear, O Israel. Um, right, yeah. right. When, when, when we are told to hear, O Yisrael, the Lord thy God, the, the, the Lord is one, or Yahweh is one. Right. This one is, he is unique, right. or he is distinct. That particular, um, um, that, that would take time to tease out. But that's not seeking to give us so much of a numerical value. Right. As much as it is arguing for the uniqueness right. of God. Right. Yeah. So let's go to the other scripture. Yeah. <laughs> so, so to Isaiah 6? Yeah. Okay. Well, not just Isaiah 6, the other one, Isaiah, the 50. 55. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. Well, we could do both. Let's see here. Sh- shall we go to that one in Isaiah 6 first, though? Yeah. Okay. So Isaiah six says, "In the year King Uzziah, in the year of King Uzziah's death, I saw the Lord sitting on a throne." That's the idea I was talking about. How is he's he's high exalted, but he's also the one who reigns. So right. there's, a, there's a correspondence between the two. High and lifted up, with the train of his robe filling the temple, and seraphim stood above him, each having six wings. With two he covered his face, and with two he covered his feet, and with two he flew. And one called out to another and said, Holy, holy, holy is Yahweh of hosts. That actually takes on a new significance there in the context. Because mm-hmm. he's just describing the high exalted Yahweh, right? Yes. Who's on his throne. He is wholly other different in his in that in that uh capacity of his being. Yes. Um Yah- holy, holy, holy is Yahweh of hosts. The whole earth is full of his glory, and the foundations are the uh, shook at the voice of him who called out while the house of God was filling with smoke. Uh, and then, of course, Isaiah uh, reacts, and he says, Woe is me, for I'm ruined, for I've, I'm a man of unclean lips, and I live among a people of unclean lips, unclean lips, for my eyes have seen the king, Yahweh of hosts. Mm. So there's, there's both connections between yeah. his transcendence and his rulership as king. It's just, I just, anyway. So what do you want to talk about that? You know what's interesting here is, first of all, this is this depiction of of the abode of God, uh, the realm of yeah. God, the throne of God. Yeah. And, and what's interesting is this becomes that perfect picture after which the Ark of the Covenant is modeled. Right. But what's interesting about that, the name of the Ark is the Ark of the Covenant of Yahweh who sits enthroned above. Right. And right. the enthroned above the cherubim or the cherubim is not just a spatial aspect. It is who is altogether distinct. So yeah. what you're seeing in this Isaiahic passage is Isaiah is, is walking into the temple. Now, something has to be said about the um, theology of architecture because that's right. present here right. um, in this temple scene. And um, it was present, although the dimensions are, are a lot smaller for the tabernacle. Yeah. But also, you kind of see that in the 1200s and the 1300s yeah, yeah. with no, they, medieval Gothic cathedrals, yeah, I was right? Say that. Um, when one historically was walking from the outside in, in, in this world. So you look up and you kind of look at the sky and you look at, at its vastness, right? Right. Um, um, and, and you kind of have this thought, the earth is the Lord's. And you realize the, f- the furthest reaches of your 
eyesight, God is beyond that. Right. Right. And, and not only is God beyond that, but he's greater than that. Right. Right. Um, and it used to be that the architectural designs of sanctuaries were intended to communicate right. the theology of transcendency. So that, it, and you'll see this a lot, right, in Eastern or Greek Orthodox right. um, sanctuaries, in the Gothic sanctuaries of, of yesteryear, um, St. Peter's Basilica in yeah, Roman Catholicism. To- you are meant to come from the outside in your mundane world, right? <clears throat> right. And, and if you had gotten so caught up in the banality of your world and in, in the simplicity and the emptiness of your world and and you had been interacting in that and forgotten <clears throat> that God sits enthroned above the circle of the earth right then you were to walk into the cathedral and when you walked in immediately the ceiling was was yeah. high it was raised it was vaulted it was it was uh, beautified um, and it was kind of breathtaking yeah you're so, yeah. So so that it reminded the worshiper you've walked into the presence of God or a concentrated representation of a place set aside to God right. where you are once again reminded of the altogether otherness of God. And it really took the creatures, the humans' breath away. And often the priests would have right. the censers, right, just like in the tabernacle and in the temple with the incense, with the smoke, a representative of the prayers of the saints and, and the darkness with which God cloaks himself so that you thought, okay, whatever I was focused on before I came in here, God is altogether other and above. And so he demands my purest attention. Yeah. I, I was going to say the same thing with, I'm thinking of when I went to, and I don't know if this, when the States to like large churches, like St. Um, um, like the Westminster and, um, mm-hmm. Saint um, Saint Peter's Saint Paul's. What's the one in in, in London? Um, the one where you could go to the top. Ah, uh, yeah, I, I forget. It's it. really good. It's it's you can go and tour the top. Anyway, the point is, and I'm sure somebody who's watching can remind me because I, is, I want to say it's Saint Paul's or something something like that. But you you walk in and you're immediately drawn up. Your eyes Ooh. are drawn up because of the the structure, the architecture. Um, and you're right. It just that whatever thoughts. You know, you had your little concerns and you have your life, which is not disimportant, but right. you were reminded of the greatness and wonder of God that it, it took your mind off. It meant to remind you right. that God is. And I'm just thinking, even though we've gone away from that as a culture, a lot of our church buildings that are around today don't have that. You know, that was a time period, but it, but it ought More to be. theater style. It's more or yeah, human but, relationship style. Right. And I think, but I think in our preaching though, mm. I think in our preaching, we ought to come away with the wonderment of the holiness and transcendence and greatness of God through the preaching of the word. And I think that's, though we can't have, we can't reproduce the architecture in a lot of our church buildings. You know, some of us have smaller churches and whatnot. We can by elevating the understanding of God through the preaching of his word. I think that's, that ought to be still the, the goal, you know, Absolutely. that somebody encounters, like I've just experienced a, a wonderfully great God, you know, and, and now I have a different perspective on life, you know, where I've encouraged, you know. Absolutely. And, and this is exactly what happens with Isaiah in this passage. He's going um, to the physical temple 
that is certainly illustrious, right? Right. Um, this is still the Solomonic Temple that he's right. going to. Um, and while he's going to this grandiose uh, um, um, uh, uh, architecture, suddenly he is enraptured by means of vision into the high loftiness the holiness. Now, this is where this this general word holy, holy, yeah, kadosh, kadosh, takes on this 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 shade that means distinct or right. separated. Right. He sees the separateness of God. Right. Um, in 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 metaphoric depiction, um, that is depicted in regality, that is depicted in superiority, that is depicted with courtier attendees but still in all of the phenomenon of this still god is greater still so god is other i want to i want to just sort of as i know we're going to still go into um another part of discussion with because we're, we're still thinking of in god's being and we're thinking visually so far we've been thinking you know he's exalted on high he's utterly different you know what's what's catch what's getting my attention in this just in this text is so Isaiah gets a view of the otherness of God, let's call it you know, or the holiness of God. Mm-hmm. His immediate reaction, of course, is one of you know awareness of how sinful he is and how absolutely utter you know. But yet, it's not like this otherness of God is such that it's how can I put this? It's not dangerous, but it. Um, What's the word I'm trying to look for? It's there's a there's an awareness, but yet even in his transcendence, he is transcendent in so many different. If he's he's other, like say in his in his love, he's not human like in his love. He's God like in his love. Does that make sense? He's God like in his love. I I want to go back and and let me restate something. Yeah, I'm trying. I'm, I'm formulating my thought. But, I, I do want to say. That the otherness of God, the non-creatureliness of God, right. and the pureness of God is absolutely dangerous right. to but sin and to sinner. It is. It definitely is. And right. I don't want to. But what I was trying to say is, it's at, at though he is, he gets the awareness of his sinfulness, which is necessary, and accommodation is made. For accommodation him. is made so that God isn't just transcendent in his holiness to make you aware of sin, which is you know, which is in righteousness. Yeah. But he's transcendent and also an accommodation for that awareness. By, by the way, John, I think there's a there's a connected point I, I want to just segue into here, and 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 I think this is a an important point of application. Notice that Isaiah, I'm, I'm not suggesting that we should not preach about sin, Oh, but notice that yeah. Isaiah became aware of his sin because of the transcendency of God. Right. My, my point was it didn't just leave it. God doesn't just leave it at the awareness right. of sin. God also in his transcendence has an accommodation for sin. That's my point. I guess Absolutely. I'm trying to say is if, we're, if God is utterly of a different nature, then he's of, of a different nature in all his attributes. Yes. So yes. he's of a different quality in all his attributes. I, as a human being, I think I can show mercy to somebody. Mm-hmm. But when God shows mercy, it's of a it's categorically com- different. completely different category. Yeah. I can say, I can show and say I love somebody. But God's, in his transcendence of love, is a different category of love. So yes. when I'm thinking about, if I'm thinking about the attributes of nature of God... I can't leave how I love 
to say that's the same level that God loves. He's of a different transcendent category. That's what I'm trying to think is there's this incorporates all of his qualities and all of his attributes that he's absolutely Soren Kierkegaard tried to make this God is um, in a different dimension, a new dimension kind of scenario. And I don't, didn't I don't, he go too far though? He really did, John. He really did. He went too far. I th- he went too far as if like I don't know if it was him or or Bart that says like God's like unknowing, like we couldn't totally know him. Or yeah, yeah. And, fresh and my memory. you absolutely read my mind because Carl Barth then goes to this altogether otherness to the extreme that you can't. Yeah, he yeah. Took it way too. Um, but he was he was combating like liberal absolute time. So he was absolutely yeah yeah. And and so and and by the way, Kierkegaard's thinking really kind of started brushing on panentheism. Right, right. Yeah, and so that's kind of dang. I mean, not kind so, of, that's so, very dangerous. So let's let's talk about, you know, because there's the dangers of taking, we haven't gotten to imminence yet, so maybe right. I, let's not go there, because there's the danger of taking the... Taking Any the tr- doctrine too extreme. Too extreme, yeah. where, you know, tra- God is so transcendent that he's... Uh, he's divorced from anything we experience on earth. That's not right. what the scripture teaches, but people can logically think that. Well, he's so different that we we can't really know what he's like. Well, the scripture reveals what he's like, so you can't go that far. So, and um, let a man boast, says Jeremiah, in this that he knows me. Right. So, so God can be known, and we argued that in some of our earlier um, episodes. Right. Um, but but in this text, Isaiah is is exposed to the otherness the superiority the supremacy the utopian non-creaturely nature of of yahweh let's go over to isaiah 55 yeah now we're getting somewhere (laughs) (laughs) that's good stuff You want to read that um, eight through nine? Yeah, let me go. Isaiah fifty-five. You know, I want to start with verse six. Very good, because I think it will add some insight into something here. Seek Yahweh while he may be found. This is Isaiah fifty-five, verse six. Seek Yahweh while he may be found. Call upon him while he is near. Let the wicked forsake his way and the unrighteous man his thoughts and let him return to Yahweh and he will have compassion on him and to our God for he will abundantly pardon. Now he gives the reasoning behind this. This is verse 8. For my thoughts are not your thoughts nor are, my, nor are your ways my ways declares Yahweh. For as the heavens are higher than the earth so are my ways higher than your ways, and my thoughts than your thoughts. And um, I'll just wow. stop right there. The re- I read verse 6 for a reason, though, because he says this in the context of, of call upon him because he's near. Yes. And his imminence. His yeah. imminence. And let him forsake, let him return. He'll have compassion. He'll abundantly pardon. Why? Because he's a different quality of of being. Yeah, this comes at the latter clause of the Isaianic structure. Um, 
um, this second half of Isaiah that I do not think is a deutero-Isaianic author. I don't think it's a second right. Isaiah. I think this is the very self-same Isaiah who had written the earlier parts of Isaiah. And then because he realized that the religious leaders and the people were not receiving his message, he actually prophesied some things about the restoration that was right. going to happen beyond his lifetime. And about 150 years after his death, when... Um, um, or 200 years thereabout, when the people are restored, then these documents, the rest of this is pulled out, and this refreshing restoration section containing the servant psalms and things of that nature right. refreshes the hearts of the people. But one of the shocking things that we see in Isaiah 55 is this message of transcendency brought to bear in the subject of God's altogether other forgiveness, yeah, mercy and compassion. Yeah. And basically, in, in a nutshell, in a very terse cooking down of this passage, this is what God says. It's because I'm so distinctly altogether other and not like you yeah. that I'm actually going to forgive you. Right. Because you would have to be me in order to be able to forgive a nation right. on the level that I'm going to forgive you. So let's just pause right there because there's a word of encouragement here. Mm-hmm. For you know, because sometimes you think, well, I could never think that God can forgive whatever I've done in the past. Let's say you know, right? And God is saying, wait a second here, I don't forgive the way you forgive. I don't think the way you think. I'm on a, and that, that ought to bring us. You know, that's why the gospel is so wonderful because it's like, wait, it's 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 presented to 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 whatever level of sin you're at. You know, it's God has a, a way to to bring atonement and forgiveness. Um, to me, it ought to bring a, um, uh, um, a sense of encouragement. And it brings humility and encouragement. Humility and encouragement. And but some people, sometimes you think, well, I've gone too far. God's run out of the, it's almost like I've reached the end of his you know, patience. Well, no. Yeah. You know. so, so what does the transcendent forgiveness of God, um, who does it encompass? Chapter 55, verse number one, everyone who thirsts. Right. If you're yeah. thirsty, yeah. come um, and buy and eat. Come buy wine and milk without money and without cost. God is able through his altogether otherness to do that which no other being could do. Yeah. And he proves that, right? Yeah. Um, in the story of redemption. But I, I do agree with you. That's very encouraging. I think this is not just a First Testament doctrine. I think it's a progressive theological concept. I also see this, John, in the Gospel of John, chapter number 8. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <clears throat> yeah, this is good. How could you not, you know, as you're thinking deeply of God and thinking accurately of deeply of God, how could you not stand in awe, you know, in just wonderment of, wow, you know, because... May I tag you with that? Tag me. Where God is not preached in his transcendency, there is the absence of awe, right? And, and, and And sometimes we're wondering... Why aren't our congregants in awe? Yeah. Does the diet over the pulpit include transcendency in the meal? Yeah. 
um, because if they're not seeing a great God, they're not seeing themselves lower. I, you know, and I'm, I'm not the perfect preacher. You know, I, I'm, I don't you know, think I barely is. know how to spell the word preacher, you know, but to me, it's like the, the great subject of the Bible is God, you know, and if, if I, you know, if I personally, you know, I, as I'm studying the scripture and as I'm, you know, preparing and praying, you know, it's almost like God, I want to be impressed with who God is. And, and I want to have that, a, a clear picture and understanding and, and present that to people and say, this is your God, yes. you know, and if I do it in a, in a careful, clear way and, 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 and do it accurately, it ought to bring a sense of worship and awe. And I think, um, I think you can never have too much of God in your, in your sermons. Oh, it's, I mean, is there any <laughs> sermon without God in it? Right. Yeah. Right. You know, there ought to be, you know, there's, there ought to be, it's, well, it, let's just, let's just face it. A lot of preaching is, is self-help stuff. That is true. A lot of preaching is, is you, you know, self-helping yourself. So, so this sounds, this sounds difficult. Is that really preaching according to the biblical text? No, it's a Ted talk, but yeah. that's, but that's, that's a lot of, but that's a lot of preaching is, yeah. is, is Google Quad and you, you do it yourself. You figured out you're without God's help. Oh, well, oh, God will help you. But, but where's where's the where's the en, enrapturement of your of your spirit and your soul and worship to the greatness like where is where is that you know if if it's just self help you know you can go to a, you can go to a, you know a different organization get that but at church it ought to be wow isn't God wonderful you know it's it ought to be wow it, you know while I realization of how holy he is and how wonderful he is you know and so i'm just saying is it ought to be yeah i'm just i'm preaching to the choir now if i understand the way scripture is written and i say that very humbly and the content of scripture an individual may not address every issue that someone is going through right but if they address the superiority of God, right. the transcendence of God, the greatness of God, the person's heart and mind is so elevated to God right. that that will address the issue. The reverse is not true, however. Right. In addressing issues, right. you can address issues, and sometimes the issues will never be solved because the people failed to see the greatness of God right. as superior to their struggle. Right. So, so if, I, if I had the choice between preaching people's issues or preaching the grandiosity of God, I'm going to err on the side of the grandiosity of God because seeing God great and transcendent yeah. will most certainly bring about a spirit-empowered addressing of any and all issues. And, and I understand that as a, as, a, as a pastor, you want to be aware of where people are at. You, want to be, you always want to be aware of, of, but if I'm always chasing down the next thing they're the involved in, the, the next issue, issues. and people have issues, and it never changes, but I have God who never changes, who's the answer to every single issue they ever face, then I'll get exhausted trying to keep up with the latest and greatest where I... To me, it to me, it's there's enough time, right. or not? It's like I wish I had more hours in a day to to try to understand even a, a, a smidgen of of what God is like, you know, and and present that. So I think if you're 
if you're teaching the Bible out there or preaching out there or you're studying the Bible, focus on God. Don't follow, follow the, um, you know, the some of these guys who just teach issues and issues because it doesn't solve anything. Yeah. You know, it doesn't, doesn't. Let's Counselors address issues. Self-help gurus address issues. Newspapers address issues, right? Um, um, uh, but they don't address the God who is above and greater than and is the cure for that's, any and all issues. That's why Paul says, preach what? Preach the word. Keruksantan laga. Preach the word. Preach Christ, you know. Preach, yeah. preach about Christ. Anyway. Uh, where are we at? John we're, 8. We're, we're in the middle that was a little... of, of the uh, one of the seven I am statements in the Gospel of John. John and I think you were 8. preparing to read verse number 23 um, yes. in this text. And of course, um, I'm going to read from verse 21. Oh, very good. <laughs> then he said again to them, I am going away and you will seek me and will die in your sin. Where I am going, you cannot come. So the Jews were saying, surely he will not kill himself since he says, where I am going, you cannot come. And he was saying to them, you are from below, I am from above. You are of this world, I am not of this world. That's verse 23. That is such a terse encapsulation of the doctrine of Trinity, uh, or not of the doctrine of the Trinity, excuse me, of the doctrine of transcendence. Right. Right. That which is creaturely versus he who is creator. Right. His altogether otherness. So if we're looking at texts like this, at the the psalmic text or the Isianic text right. or and many other texts, and if we're looking at this Jehanine text, what those texts come together briefly to argue is that God, here's that word again, is transcendent. God in Trinity is transcendent. So what we're saying of the Father is equally true of the Son and equally true of the person of the Holy Spirit. God is uniquely in a categorically uh, in a category in Trinity by himself. Right. Though there be other gods, he is the unique God of gods. Right. Other kings, he is the king of kings and lord of lords, which veers into his sovereignty, right? right. But also veers into his uniqueness. Right. Um, um, he is holy. Um, he, he is distinct. He is separated unto himself. There is no one comparable to him who is like unto Yahweh. Right. So he stands in a class or a category all by himself. And that is the doctrine of his transcendency. Now, did we, did we cover the, the one Isaiah 57? Oh, no, we didn't. We haven't got there yet, because we're about to go into imminence. Yeah, yeah. Well, I was going to go into some of the dangers okay, of, let's go, of that. You want, no, no, no. Let's, let's go into let's 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 go go go. Isaiah 57, man. I'm just, because, because Isaiah we're, 57 is because, waiting on you. Okay, so we're thinking Isaiah, we're thinking transcendence, he's otherly different, he's higher. But then, then, and maybe that leads into the question of, is he so far? Right. Is he so far different that right. there's no connection between me and God? Is there... No, it, that that that's a danger. To think that is that a way. heresy, right? Right. Um, um, that things like deism. Absolutely. There you go. And the idea of deism is that God created everything, so He's Creator. This is deism. He's superior to everything. He's altogether other than everything. Right. So much other that He's not involved right. or near, or you can't know Him. Right. 
um, um, and so he's not involved with his creation. The, the analogy that was used in order to carry over the point was kind of the divine clockmaker, as it were. Right. Right? That God created the clock and, and wound it up, and he then backed off of it not to be involved with it again, just to allow it then to run its time and to wind down. And so if we take transcendency to its extreme, we run into the heresy or the heterodoxy of of deism. Uh, Or or in this way, um, um, Dr. R.C. Sproul said this, and I think it's so important. He absolutely was uh, a a proponent of of transcendency. But then he says correctively and as a warning, but... If we're not careful, if we argue that God is so transcendent that he cannot associate, affiliate, right. or be near or involved to his creatures or his creation, then we also take this doctrine and misteach right. God. Yeah, that's the danger. There's, there's, you think about it, there's some people, even Christians, who, though they'll say they're, they believe in this, this God is transcendent, they live as if God is... is um, like like they live like deist, mm-hmm. as, as if God weren't as involved. if God were even involved in your life, and and so we have, what happens though is if you re, you start reasoning down that line without having Scripture being your guardrails to keep you in the right lane, then you can go that far and start thinking as you said Kierkegaard did and Barth. I think he went too far with you know with uh, against um, the liberal uh, teachings, which the liberal teachings t- tend to took the imminence of God too far. Absolutely. They started going to pantheism, things like that, you know, but, or panentheism. And anyway, so where were we going? So, so it's, so then we were going into a definition of imminence of God. Imminence. So if transcendence was, he's of a different quality, imminence is, is, I know what the answer is, but you can tell the answer. He is near, right? He is involved and he's not only involved supernaturally, he's involved in history, redemptive history. Right, this is the mistake that the deists right. said, right? The Bible is a natural work. Right. It's the word of, of, of men about God. Right. Um, um, they could not necessarily, for some of them, accept the incarnation of Christ right. because God's not involved anymore, right? So Jesus was certainly an impressive man, a good man, right. but he couldn't be the God man because God is not involved anymore. But we would argue that God is not only involved in redemptive history and in history He's involved in the lives of people in both the miraculous right. and the everyday mundane. He's involved in our world and in our lives. So, and he's close and he's near. I, I, I wrote this down, and now if I got this, I wrote down transcendence, just to, as sort of like a summary d- distinction between the two. Transcendence, this is, and we're talking about transcendence and imminence have to do with God's relationship to his creation, right? So, Mm-hmm. Transcendence, God is distinct from, from. Cre- from creation. He is distinct from creation. Imminence, creation is dependent on God. Mm-hmm. God is involved in creation, which is dependent upon him. Right. Mm-hmm. So, there's a, so imminence talks about God's involvement in such a way that all of creation is dependent on him. Absolutely. And yet transcendence is in his, in his being and his rule he is distinct from creation. So he's distinct, but yet he's involved. All of creation, by the way, John, I just want to make sure that our hearers, um, our listeners hear that, right? All of creation's angels, yeah. demons, heaven, earth, 
all of that comes under um, um, God's transcendence. He's, right. he's altogether other than that, yeah. but he's involved with every facet of that. There's not one molecule of God's creation that he is not involved with. In fact, if you think about it, his transcendence necessarily, in my, as I'm thinking scripturally, his transcendence necessarily demands his involvement. Because if he's transcendent in his love, he's transcendent in his, you know, whatever attribute you want to call it, he's transcendent in in his relational relational attributes like his love, his grace, his um, his goodness, things like that. There has to be objects of that as well. And Absolutely. so if and so even though he's transcendent, let's say before those before the creation, he's transcendent in his love to to one to to God the each Father, member of the each member of the Trinity. And so if he does that with that, with this, he's the same God with with creation now. He's transcended in his love towards that, which means that there's involvement. So Absolutely. you can't have, you actually, in fact, the, they're, both, they're both are necessary. Yes. Even when you go to the first page of the Bible, you see that God is near to his creation. Right. That all of his creation, whether it is angels, right? The name Michael, Michael, who is like Yahweh, right. or who is like Elohim, right? Um, if you look in the in the um, um, uh, narrative of Genesis, you see various ca- uh, um, aspects of the characteristics of God present within his creation. On the lower level of creation, you see less of that. But on the higher level of creation, you see more of that, right? Even to the climactic point right. of humanity, right. mankind. Let us make man bitselem kedemuth in, in our, our image, image yeah. according to our, our likeness. Yeah. Because because he is in a very concentrated way, he has chosen to share some some uh, so, theologues call it communicable and incommunicable. Right. Uh, but but he has chosen to share what he is like. Right. Within the species. Right. And that's my my point is if you if you have a correct understanding of the nature of God as you know whether it's he's he's, he's love or he's 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 just or he's good or whatever the if you don't have let's just put it this way if you believe in a transcendent god who's unloving then you can't have a god who's also imminent but if you have a god who's loving and transcendent then you have god who's imminent yeah anyway that's okay so imminence is now his involvement in his creation it's his as well the perfect example in in isaiah um the name of the child emmanuel god with us you know it's the witness of God, Isaiah I guess. Seven. Isaiah, yeah. Isaiah 7. Which, by the way, anticipates, while, while it doesn't mean this in Isaiah 7, it anticipates a greater fulfillment, plurao, right? right. Um, a filling up of this very prophecy in Matthew chapter 1, verse number 23, right. where you see, if you thought that God was involved to bring rescue right. and safety and deliverance 700 years ago, right. in a way that you had not anticipated, <clears throat> God is with us. So the highest message, the most terse message of God's imminence is seen in the incarnation. God is literally, God who is transcendent, is literally not only involved with us, but with us. But think about this, though. If you're thinking about God's imminence of God's involvement in creation, God's involvement in our lives, right? Mm -hmm. How serious is God for that involvement? He's so serious that he decided to take on flesh for the rest of eternity. It wasn't just like a quick visit, you know, I'll go do the cross thing and go back to heaven. As No, Jesus Christ is took on flesh, yeah. and he's still in the 
a better version of the flesh right now, but he's he's still in, he's he's still he's still incarnated. He's still fully man and fully God, which tells me that is that it's he takes his involvement in our lives to such a degree that he would he would purposely and intentionally become incarnated and remain that way for the rest of eternity. So I'm going to say that sounds to me contradictory, but it's not. It's paradoxical. And, 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 and in this way, the extreme level of that eminence is transcendent to me. It's, That's good. It's, it's, That's it's good. like this. It's like it is. If you were me, you would not do that. No, but because no, I am who I am, <laughs> I'm going to take on, in, in all of history, in, in all of the cultures, man always wanted to become God. Right. It's only in, create, in, it's only in Christianity, Judeo-Christianity, where God becomes man. And stays that way. <sighs> that's, that's, that's so altogether other from me. Who, who thinks that way? So, so that's exactly the point I was trying to make with Transcendence, that he thinks of a different quality of, yeah. now that's a different quality of love. Oh. And so if you're, if you're thinking, well, God is so far, well, look at Jesus Christ. And you have the example of God's transcendent love that would be, that would willingly take on flesh. Mm. And right now in heaven, Jesus is the son of man, the God man, fully human and fully God. And, and remain that way because his quality of love is of different capacity. He would decide to become man for the rest of, it, of time in turn. That's just, you know, who walks? How in that do you compete? Category? You can't. That's that's why. That's why, you know. That's why it's the wonderment of, you know. And I, I know we haven't even gotten to the really to, to the eminence of God, but but that that tells me God is of such interest in our lives, such interest in the affairs of men, such interest in that He does care what is going on. And what we face, you know, yeah. that he that he would look at Jesus Christ, and you can look no further, no more better example. And if Jesus is that way, God the Father is the same way, God the Holy Spirit is the same way, yeah. you know. And so it's uh, it's not he's he's very much interesting. I mean, I love the Psalms. You know, okay, we can start talking about the Psalms, Psalm one thirty nine. Oh. You know, before there's even a thought, he he knows it. He's into me. He knows. I where mean, can I go from your presence? Where can I go from your presence? I mean, you're so involved that that your presence is inescapable. I mean, I was telling my daughter, um, you know, about how much how much thoughts that God has towards her. You know, I, you know, there's the numbers of the sands of the sea. You know, and and he knows. You know, in a different text, it talks about how he knows the number of hairs on her head. I'm like, yeah. I don't even know the number of hairs on on her head, yeah. my own head either. And but that's the that's the imminence of God. You know, um, we were going to look at uh, Isaiah. Yes. 57? Yes, sir. This is a text that incorporates both ideas. Isaiah 57, 15. This is great. And we're running low on time. So we have to do a, we have to do a part two or just make this a two-hour... Some people do podcasts that are, you know, five minutes long, 20, 30 minutes long. We're trying to keep it under an hour. Good luck, right? <laughs> <laughs> that was good. All right. Isaiah fifty-seven fifteen. For 
thus says the one high and lifted up, who dwells forever, whose name is holy. I dwell on a high and holy place. That's transcendence. Mm. And also with the crushed and, and lowly of spirit, in order to revive the spirit of the lowly and to revive the heart of the crushed. That's imminence in one, t- one verse. I mean, praise God for that. I dwell in a high and, lowly pla- high and holy place and also with the lowly. What do you say to that? What do you say to that? That the God who is so high, he's not so high that he doesn't care, he's not involved. It's, it, it, it's not just... The guy who is the God who is so altogether other, but if you are going to deal with the lowly, because everyone, when you're God, is low, right? But he goes to the extreme low. He goes to the people who we think are low. I deal with the contrite. I deal with the crushed. Who does that again? Yeah. Even his eminence is transcendent. What's the text I'm thinking of? He says, "You thought I was. You thought I was like you." Yeah. <laughs> what's it? It's, yeah, that, what's that's the, actually a humorous text to me. It's kind of like yeah. a slap in the face. Like, <laughs> remind me, I can't. My computer's acting up here. Oh my goodness! You know what, uh, what I'm talking about? Yes, I do. Oh yeah, Psalm 50. Is that the one? Um, I think, I think it's Psalm 50 verses 16, something like that. I'm not, hold on. It's yes. I think co- so. I it, think so. Is it 16? Cause I'm having a different verse of my, no, my I Bible think, here. On. No, wait, wait, wait. Let me, I'm not sure normally I'm right on that, but let me, let me see if I can't find it here. If it's not this one, then let me see if I can find it. Verse 21. Is it? Psalm 50, these things you have done, and I kept silent. You thought that I was just like you. I know it's a different context. Yeah. yeah. I will repeat you and state you in case. Okay, it's a different context. I don't want to, it's not exactly describing. But it's, the, it's, I guess the idea is many times we do think that God is like us. And he is, we do share some of his attributes. You know, we do have things that we, you know, the communicable attributes that are, but he's on a t- completely different level. Yes. I don't want to get sidetracked with that. So no, no, no. let's stick with um I, I, yeah. Yeah, that's the that's the text, but that's okay. it's in a different context. It's a different yeah. Um um I think a, probably a better context would be like uh, who will you liken me to? Right, 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 right. That's that's yeah. So yeah. should we think about should we think about if imminence is God's involvement so that there's great interest in God and uh, in our lives. You have that, obviously, with, um, like Jeremiah says, can a man hide himself from hiding places so I don't see him, declares the Lord? Do I not fill the heavens and the earth? Uh, or Paul says on, on Mars Hill, he says um, uh, that we would seek God if perhaps we might grow for him and might find him, Acts 17, 17, though he's not far from each one of us. For in him we live and live, move, move and have our being. being. Um, By the way, back back to that Jeremiah text just for a minute. 23. Um, I want to be very careful to say, again, this is not spatial. This is not, I feel the earth. Dr. Grudem in his book has helpful charts. And one of his analogies yeah. 
is we shouldn't think of God seismically. We shouldn't think him of him as um, kind of a series of dots that fill the universe or um, uh, he's heavily concentrated in a particular area. This is arguing for his superiority and his sovereignty right. and his involvement. Uh, do I not have um, um, control over all of, of the universe, over heaven right. and earth, over the extreme? So it's right. all mine. Right. There's no place you could hide from me is the idea. Yeah. Um, um, in Acts, that, isn't that amazing? In him, this and Colossians would argue right. that Jesus is the cosmic glue, as one uh, scholar has said, who literally holds all things together by the power of his word. That's how involved he is. That's... I, we better we better stop for this one because we're already an hour into this. But I think we're just starting to get. I think the the think as I'm, we're thinking about this because I think there's some significant practical devotional implications of all this, you know. And I think uh, maybe you know we've, we're over an hour already, so oh my. so we have to do a summary. So once you summarize, and then we'll <laughs> <laughs> we'll see about. Recording another one, but because uh, I think we're just scratch- we're just barely scratching the surface, and here I'm thinking how we can get an hour. Oh, uh, we only have ten minutes worth, you know. No, you think about God, you start. Yeah. It's just it just kind of, you know, makes you think, and and uh, so let's do that because I'm running out of space here. I, I think I think I think I pray, John, for our listeners to the greatest degree possible in Isionic experience. May they on this upcoming Lord's Day or sometime when they are before the face of God, Coram Deo, um, may that very limited space give way and collapse to a realization of that which Scripture gives us by revelation, and that is the boundlessness, the limitlessness, the otherness the loftiness, the incomparability of God. We really need that in a world that seems like it's out of control today. Mm-hmm. God is above the mass shootings. He's other than that. Um, he's superior to government when it looks like our own nation is falling apart at the seams from the top down um, and and even in the middle that the rule of God is other it's great it's incomparable it's immeasurable it's it's categorically in a class all of its own but it's not so other that God is just concerned about the there and then the by and by But he's involved in this fallen, created world that we're in. And he's near to those who are broken, to those who are brokenhearted. He's involved. What proves that? There are several scriptures that that prove that, right? We could have gone to so many scriptures uh, discussing how he gives us breath. This is part one. Yeah, right. (laughs) But scriptures that prove that. Out of all of them that we can take, and the Word became flesh. Amen.
he is near. And, and I think I want to say this um, um, today. I, I feel an urgency to say this. Um, he may be available. He may be near. But those who know him in nearness are those who have a relationship with Jesus the Son. Don't waste the nearness of God. It's one thing to say, where are you, God? Well, Jesus has proven that he's right here. He's involved. He cares. Not just in the circumstances of life, not just in the circumstances of, of, of government, but he's here in the greatest way, in the way that really matters. He wants to do so much more than, than the bill on your light bill or the gas bill or the water bill or, or gas prices or what's in your belly. The transcendent God is here to give you a life that is like no other. He's here to give you eternal life in Christ. What he offers is like no one else can offer because he's a God like no other. And so this day, maybe we be brought up into the high loftiness of his altogether otherness, but may we celebrate that he is not so other, that he did not come down and show great concern and involvement in order to bring us to himself in Christ. Thank you again for listening to Living Truth with John Corr and C.L. Mitchell. If you would like to hear this podcast again or previous episodes, you may do so at passionforhisword.com. That's passionforhisword.com. You may also like us on Facebook at Living Truth Radio Broadcast. That's Living Truth Radio Broadcast. Again, our prayer for you is that God would sanctify you in truth, for his word is truth.